people take 591 photographs. That's 51.1 million photographs every day. Why do we do that? We take 3 billion photographs just during November and December because of the holidays. That's a lot of photos. Why do we do that? We spend all that money on all those photographs, right, to augment our memory, don't we? So that we can remember. We're going to continue in our series this morning um, as far as why do we look the way we look on Sunday mornings. Um, and I have uh, the privilege of telling you why do we have the Lord's Supper? Right? Why do we do that? Um, turn with me please to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Uh, as I mentioned before, when I did this um, in this series, the, the topic of baptism, we talked about that there are two ordinances in Scripture. One is baptism. The other is uh, the Lord's Supper, the observance of the Lord's Supper. And what we kind of gave you as a definition for that or criteria for that is if it is something uh, that uh, we read of in the Gospels, right? Uh, something that was practiced in the early church in Acts, and then something expounded upon in the epistles, if it has all three of those, or true of all three of those, then we consider it. And it's true of baptism. I'm going to show you here that it's certainly true of the Lord's Supper too. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14, it says, When the hour had come, he, that is the Lord Jesus, sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And in verse 18, right, we see the end of that Passover um, celebration or feast. And then look what he does here. In verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. It's interesting, too, right here, the Lord Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and he hasn't even what yet? He hasn't even died. So again, it's just a beautiful picture here of this desire that the Lord had to celebrate the Passover with his apostles. But then he took this opportunity to institute this thing called the Lord's Supper, right? And it's interesting, too, that today, uh, in places near us here, uh, there's a lot of people who believe in that transubstantiation, that it's the literal body, right, of the Lord Jesus, the literal blood. And this is kind of interesting in this story because here the Lord Jesus is still alive. So clearly, when he says, hey, this is my body, it's not his body, right? And so, um, take a look at Acts chapter 2. So we see the Lord Jesus instituting this Lord's Supper, the night of the Passover. In Acts chapter 2, verse 
Just a couple verses, beginning in verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so we see again here in this early church, thousands coming to know Jesus Christ. And one of the things that they continued steadfastly in is the Lord's Supper, this breaking of bread that we're going to look at. And then take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, just a a few verses here, uh, beginning in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking here, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Uh, Let's just um, open in prayer. Our Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it was the fervent desire he desired to eat that last Passover with his, his disciples. And uh, we're so thankful for this Lord's Supper that he instituted. Uh, we're thankful um, just for the opportunity to remember, um, which seems to be so important to you, dear God, that we would remember. And so uh, help me to remember um, what it is that you've laid in my heart to share this morning. Um, those of us who are listening Lord God, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to hear uh, what it is that you want to teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So um, those of you that know me, you know that this topic is near and dear to my heart. Uh, In fact, here at Brantford, uh, some years ago, I did a series on the Lord's Supper, several weeks (laughs) that uh, I spoke on the Lord's Supper. Um, And there's certainly many things uh, that we could talk about today. Uh, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, the participants of the Lord's Supper, um, and all these things. Um, however, um, because really the, the kind of our purpose for this series is this, is that many people come through our building, many people actually fellowship here, and, and they like the way we do things, and yet they never know why we do that. <laughs> they never know, okay, why every Sunday at 9.15 do we have this Lord's Supper? We have this remembrance meeting. Um, and why do we do it every week? And things like that. And so really today, all we're going to do is talk about two things that kind of make us look different than most other places you might see on a Sunday morning and tell you why. Uh, not necessarily that we are right and they're wrong. It's just to tell you why we do uh, it this way here at uh, Brantford Bible Chapel. And so the two things we're going to look at this morning is the frequency of the Lord's Supper and the framework of the Lord's Supper. Okay, those are two things that I think kind of um, look different. Uh, What I mean by that is there are many um, churches who break bread, who remember the Lord, 
uh, but they may only do it monthly. Okay? They may do it quarterly. Uh, there are some that actually will only do it once a year. And unfortunately, there are actually some places that gather in the name of Jesus Christ that never break bread. They never have the Lord's Supper. And so why is it that we uh, have this Lord's Supper every week? Why do we do it so frequently? Right? And so I'd like to look at three reasons why we do that. Right? One, it's a pattern okay, that hopefully we'll be able to show you in, in Scripture here. Two, uh, it is personal. And three, it is profound. In other words, it's important to God. Um, please note that as we go through this, there is no commandment in Scripture that says, Thou shalt remember the Lord every Sunday. It doesn't say that. Okay? Um, there is no, Thou shalt break bread um, as often as you get together. It's not there. There's no commandment. There's no instruction for that. However, like I said, the first thing we're going to look at is I do believe that there's a pattern here. There's a pattern that we try to follow here in our local assembly. And so uh, in Acts chapter 2, um, where we just were a moment ago, you can turn there. Acts chapter 2. Look back at Acts chapter 2, please. If we just read that a little farther from where we read, in verse 46, remember the, all these people who just got saved, they were baptized, they continued steadfast in these things. And then in verse 46 it says, And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. It seems to me, it indicates to me that it was observed, this Lord's Supper was observed each day. Each day in the homes of individual Christians. So in the early church, it seems as if there was this time where they would every day break bread. Uh, those individuals who were saved from house to house, wherever house they could meet at, every day they would uh, break bread. But if you look at Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart, and so on, uh, it goes on. And so, even though it seems to indicate that those individuals early on, every day they were breaking a bread, right? It seems later on, it became a weekly observance, right? In fact, here, uh, it's kind of mentioned as being the common practice of the day. Is that when um, they came together the first day of the week, it was to break bread. All right. But also, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it says, upon the first day of the week. Okay, And so, indicating that the church of Corinth here, they would gather together in someone's home, most likely, on the first day of the week. And on that first day of the week, like you'll read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, they would, they would uh, collect uh, from the saints, they would break bread, they would be teaching, and all these things. But it would seem now, that later on now in this early church, that it became a weekly observance. That at the first day of every week, um, the church would come together to break bread. That was one of the things that they would do. Now, to me, it's just interesting that 
uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it does not say on the first Lord's Day of the month. It doesn't say that, right? Uh, it doesn't say on the first Lord's Day of the quarter, right? And so really, and it's, listen, I, I'm, I try to be gracious here with my words, but those who object to the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper certainly have no objection to taking a collection each first day of the week. They don't object to that. Right? But they'll object to the Lord's Supper every week. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we just read this, right? It says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. To me, again, this clearly indicates that this was not seldom observed. Right? This was a regular thing that they did weekly. And then, of course, as we already read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that those who gladly received the word continued steadfastly in the breaking of the bread. Okay, guys, this was not a spasmatic thing, right? But this was a steadfast continuance in its observation. And with some of these patterns that we see here, I think uh, that we can conclude that it was observed each Lord's Day. That the early church, they would break bread and observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week on the Lord's Day. Keep in mind, too, that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it's a pattern, I think. I think we can clearly see there was a pattern in the early church for weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. But not only that, I believe it's personal. I really think it's personal. Um, And I was trying to illustrate it this way. Okay, I've had a conversation with people, um, in particular, I had a conversation some time ago with someone. They said, hey, you take communion every Sunday? I said, yes, we do. We break bread every Sunday. And they said, well, don't you know that familiarity breeds contempt? <laughs> Seriously, no. They, and there's a lot of people that say this, guys. And, and he says to me, he says, listen, because something repeated so often is apt to lose all its significance and value. They go on, they say, listen, I suggest that you break bread once a month. Better still, they tell me, you know what, you should break bread every three months. You know what, no, still better, twice a year. Then they said this, they said, but best of all, you should break bread once a year. And here's what they said, they said, think with what expectation you would look forward to taking the Lord's Supper if you knew that you would have to wait 12 months before you could do it again, right? You would look forward to it with the same glad anticipation that children do on Christmas Day. This person was um, away from home. And uh, I said, listen, you're away from home right now. They said, yeah, and, and this is before uh, FaceTime and texting and this and that. I said, uh, you love your parents? I love my parents. I said, uh, how often do you... You know, contact your parents. Oh, I call them, you know, uh, daily, couple, every couple of days. I said, okay. I said, well, how, do you ever write them? He goes, absolutely. He goes, I, we usually write each other, you know, once or twice a week. Really? I said, you do know, right, that familiarity breeds contempt. I said, you know what you should do? You should write your parents once a month. No, still better, once every three months. Better yet, you know what? Twice a year. No, no, wait. Don't talk or contact your parents for one year. 
and think of what expectation you'll have that knowing that, man, when you talk to your parents, you won't be able to talk to them again for another 12 months. The conversation was over, yeah. <laughs> Guys, listen, it's personal, okay? Um, don't think for one moment that the breaking of bread once a week um, will lose its significance or its value. Okay? Um, but not only is it personal, uh, it's profound. What I mean by that is it's extremely important to God. Some of you I know went to Steve Herzig yesterday. Uh, my parents went and I got to talk to him a little bit about what Steve uh, talked about. And one of the things that was interesting that he talked about is in Revelation 21, he talks about the New Jerusalem. And uh, when you look at that, that city, that new city, it talks about the gates. And it says on there, there's, there's 12 gates and every gate will actually have the names of the tribes of Israel. And then he goes on to talk about these walls, right? And there's these pillars in the walls. And those are going to have the names of the 12 apostles, right? And then he's going to, and it goes on to the foundation of those walls are actually going to have the same jewels that the ephod had with the, the priestly garment. And Steve brought out a neat point. He's like, listen, it's just a thought. And he goes, but why would God have these names in this new kingdom, this new Jerusalem, right? Uh, this is after the millennium, Right? He says, unless he wants us to remember. <laughs> right? Guys, God is a God who wants us to remember. You see, we talk about all the time that Jesus Christ was sacrificed once for all, forever. But before that, even, guys, there was only one Passover. That was it. There was a time when there was a Passover, and you applied the blood to the doorpost, and it passed over you and your family. Every Passover after that, was just a remembrance of that. There was only one Passover, guys. It's the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He died at Calvary, and He gave His body and He shed His blood, that only happened once. But every Lord's Supper after that is a remembrance of what He did. And God wants us to remember. Remembrance is important to God. The Apostle Paul, it's interesting to me, in his epistles here, he speaks of only two things. In all the New Testament, only two times Paul mentions that he got a special revelation to him alone by the Lord himself. And remember, Apostle Paul wasn't around when Jesus was alive. I mean, he was around, but he didn't walk with him. In, right? he, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? But there are two times where Paul says he received something from the Lord Jesus himself. That's an amazing thing, right? That Jesus said, hey, listen, I want you to hear this. One of them, right, is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17, and that's the truth of the personal return of the Lord Jesus. The rapture and all those things. You'll see there, Paul says, I received this word from the Lord. You know what the only second one is? It's the truth of the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, that which I have received from the Lord, I make known to you. Only two things, that special revelation from the Lord Jesus himself to Apostle Paul. One, the return of the Lord Jesus. That's pretty important, right? And the importance of the Lord's Supper. Anything else Jesus could have revealed to Paul, he chose those two things. And both of them, right? In each of these, the Lord himself is prominent. Right? Right? Guys, when it comes to the return of the Lord, right, 
We await not merely a glorious event, but a supremely glorious person. That's what we're waiting for. The event is incredible because of the person that we're waiting for. And it's the same thing with the Lord's Supper, right? It is He Himself who is before our hearts. Right? His simple word is this. This do in remembrance. No. This do in remembrance of me. Of me. In each of these cases, the Lord Himself is prominent. It's interesting that these words, right? When Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. These words come to us as a last request of Him. I was thinking about this. I was, can you imagine for a moment, um, not feeling good? And I, and I always, my eyes always as a father right now, but uh, wherever you might be, maybe if you're a child, you can consider this uh, in relation to your, to your parents or um, anyone else here. You can just apply this if you can, wherever you're at. There's, there's someone, right, that, um, that we want to instill things to, right? Um, so that if someone were to say, hey, listen, John, you have 24 hours to live. I'm sorry to tell you this, but that's all you got. It's 24 hours, 36 max. I was thinking, what would I want to instill in my children in those last, that last day that I have? Right? What would I want to say to my wife in those, that last 24 hours that I have? The Lord Jesus, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, it is the last day of his life. Is the last hours of his life. Of all the things that he could have done with his disciples, what did he do? He said, guys, listen, do this in remembrance of me. All the things he could have done, all the things he could have taught them, all the things he could have showed them, instilled in them, right? That's what was at the heart of Jesus. His last words were, do this in remembrance of me. It was the last time he was with all his disciples. The last time. He would die within the next 24 hours to 48 hours. Listen, we do, we remember the Lord Jesus every Sunday. We observe the Lord's Supper every week. Because I see it in the pat- as a pattern in Scripture. Right? But also because I think it's profound. It's important to God that we remember. The last of two, I think it's personal. Listen, would you commit? Would you commit to just attending the Lord's Supper for one month? For one month. No matter what happens, no matter what comes in Saturday night, whatever, you make that commitment to God and say, listen, I'm going to commit to attending the Lord's Supper, remembering the Lord for one month. One month. Listen, it's, um, I, I, I understand um, that the Lord's Supper, sometimes to some, it's not very appealing. Um, I, I grew up going to the Lord's Supper, and as a child, I didn't want to go. I think I've shared this with you before, as our Lord's Supper was in the evening, uh, at 6 o'clock. So we would go to church in the morning, we'd come home, the giants would come on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And at halftime, I would have to leave to go observe the Lord's Supper and miss the second half of the game. I wasn't happy about that. 
Or, as most of the cases are, sometimes Sundays things happen, right? People have picnics, people have get-togethers, and guess who the family was that was leaving early to go observe the Lord's Supper? I resented that. I hated that we had to go. Listen, I've talked to some. I I know that for some women it's hard, right? It's hard to to come and you you feel like, what am I doing here? We're going to get to that in a second as far as the framework. Right, But I, all I know is in my own life is that I, I understand that there was a time where I, I didn't look forward to it like I do today. Um, and all I can ask is that you just be obedient. Right, Give that to the Lord. Get to that and then ho- trust that God will then give you an appreciation for this time um, that he's instituted. So we're going to get into that a little bit too as far as the framework. So that, that's the frequency of it. Right, That's why we do it every week. But there's also a framework, right? What, what is this that we do? Like, so there are places that um, they'll have the ministry of God's word, and then they'll tack on the end of that a break in the bread. You know? And you'll take the bread in the cup, and then you go home, and it's nice. Why do we sit there for an hour? Right? Why do we have from 9.15 till 10 o'clock you know, this time that we have? Well, again, I think there's three reasons. Uh, one, there's, there's a pattern. Okay? There's a pattern that I think we can see. Two, there's a priesthood that I want to talk about. And then thirdly and lastly, there's a protocol. Okay, there's a protocol to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, turn there please for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, when we have those instructions regarding the Lord's Supper, Uh, It talks very clearly that it says when you come together, when you come together here in verse 26 of chapter um, 14, it says, how is it then, brethren? And he says, whenever you come together. So he's literally giving regulations for how we are to conduct ourselves when we come together. This is not talking about what you do individually in your own home. Right. It's talking about when we come together as a local expression of the church. Right. Um, How is it that we're to conduct ourselves. And he says here, it's very interesting, he says, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, but let all things be done for edification or for building each other up. And so, it seems as if this was the way the assembly met, right? They didn't have kind of like what you see right here where um, someone would give a message from the pulpit, right? They would come together, right? And... They, had, they met with freedom and liberty for every brother to take part under the leading. The reason I mention that to you is I think this is one of the most early glimpses that we have of the early church at worship. Okay? Um, they would come together and... The Spirit would move different men to share a psalm or to share a teaching or to, uh, the, the different things are mentioned there, like share different things, right? And so, I'll try to break this up for you here if we can. Um, at 11 o'clock here, right, you have gifted believers who are individually responsible to the Lord to give out a message of God, right? That, that's my responsibility today, right? It's an individual responsibility, right? That I am to give you a message from God. 
But the interesting thing about the Lord's Supper, right, is that when that when we, we meet at 9.15, right, there we believe that the Spirit of God is free to use whomever he may please. There's a difference there, okay? I haven't seen it yet, I mean, but as I've been speaking for the last, you know, 30 minutes or so, nobody just stood up and, and interrupted me and started talking as well. Like, for the most part, this is given this time for me individually to be able to give a message from God. But the Lord's Supper, right, any of the that want to can share something from the Spirit of God. Let me put it this way. At 11 o'clock, right, I become the voice of God to the assembly in ministry. Do, do we agree with that? That um, when you have someone up here speaking, right, they become the voice of God, right, to the assembly and ministry. In fact, it talks about that in Peter. Let anyone speak. Let them speak as if it were the oracles of God, right? But the interesting thing about the framework of the Lord's Supper that we have here is that at the Lord's Supper, when you stand up, right, and you ask for a song or you give a thanksgiving or you share something from the word, Right? You become the voice of the assembly to God in worship. Something very unique. Because I talk to people all the time. They say, well, listen, John, I can worship at home. Yes, you should worship at home. Amen. When we come together at the Lord's Supper, it is a totally different thing. When I'm in my closet and I'm praising God and thanking God, I'm not the voice of the assembly. I'm the voice of John Clifford. Okay? But when I stand up this morning at the Lord's Supper... I now become the voice of the assembly uh, as far as to God in worship. It's very unique. It's very different corporate worship. Okay, and so, but we see this pattern here that it seems like the early church, there was this little glimpse of that's kind of how things went, is that they had the free liberty to, as the Spirit moved them, they could stand up and become the voice of the assembly to God. And that's what we do here. But I also mentioned the priesthood. A lot of you know that um, we are the, the non-denominational denomination. Okay? <laughs> we, our roots are right, are Plymouth Brethren. Right? So you hear Plymouth Brethren a lot. One of the things that the Plymouth Brethren, why they instituted the Lord's Supper the way we do it, the framework, is because they wanted to emphasize the priesthood of all believers. So we don't have time really to go into that to the priesthood of all believers, but Again, we're all familiar that, listen, there was a time, right, where God instituted the priesthood, right? And it only could be Aaron's, uh, the tribe of Levi, and the high priest could only be Aaron and his, and those men were the only ones who could offer sacrifices, right? We all kind of know a little bit about that, right? Amazing truth here that Peter brings out in the New Testament. He says, listen, now, those of you who trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you now are believing priests. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about someone who gets born again. 1 Peter chapter 2 in the beginning says now you're growing in the word. And then it says now you've become a holy priesthood. At the Lord's Supper again, you have a tremendous opportunity as a believing priest now to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. This is where I'm coming back to you again is that this is a tremendous privilege for you. You could not be a priest before Jesus Christ, ladies. Couldn't do it. 
Okay? It was only the men, only those of the tribe of Levi, those of the sons of Aaron. But now, now men, women, my children, if they want, they can, as believing priests, praise God spiritually. Why is it such a big deal if you can't do it? People think, hey, listen, if I can't do it all, then what am I doing here? I'll tell you what you're doing here, right? As someone stands up at the Lord's Supper and they become the voice of the assembly to God in worship, you join in on that, right? So theme, uh, we start off a song talking about the greatness of God. Man, my thoughts were just going to how great God was, right? Any one of us in here can go right there as well. We can open up our Bible and we can find something about the greatness of God. We can bow our head and say, God, thank you for how great you are. We don't just sit there and say, listen, I'm not part of this, <laughs> this Lord's Supper. There's a lot of practical ways that we can do this. Right? I know some people, right, they like to take notes at the Lord's Supper. It helps them focus, helps them to kind of kind of see, okay, where is the Spirit leading people? But there's a lot of practical ways that you can do that. But this priesthood of all believers is just a, it's so um, profound, right? Peter says that we are all priests unto God and we are exhorted to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The framework that we have set up here allows you to do that corporately as a body here. We get to do that. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 15, we are actually commanded to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And this should be particularly true at such a meeting as the Lord's Supper. To offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's what we get to do together as believing priests during that Lord's Supper. Again, it was interesting. Those of you that know my mom, um, my mom's kind of old school, you know, um, I was shocked when I, I asked her, I said, hey, listen, uh, have you always loved the Lord's Supper? She said, no. And she goes, when your dad got saved and I got saved, she's like, we, we started attending the breaking of bread at Groton Bible Chapel. And she goes, and I sat there for weeks going, what is this? What is going on? He was commanded to offer continuously a sacrifice of praise, spiritual sacrifice of praise from her lips to God. And like I said, I believe it's particularly true at such a meeting as the Lord's Supper. It's very unique, uh, that framework. Now, with that being said, right, there, there seems to be a pattern where um, the Spirit is free to choose from whoever they want uh, to the assembly uh, in worship. Right? But each one of us, men, women, children, we all have an obligation, right, as believing priests during that time to thank God, right? To give Him thanks. Whether it's audibly or not, we are all responsible to offer continuously a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, and giving thanks to His name. But there is a protocol to this. I got one minute to get through that, okay? The protocol is this, right? Philippians chapter 3, really quickly. We'll close with this. You know, in that, in that same light that I was talking to my dad 
Um, I said, Dad, who, who taught you about the Lord's Supper? Like, who? Because as I share with you, we miss a lot of Giants games. We miss a lot of... Because my dad was committed to the Lord's Supper. And in fact, I've shared this a hundred times, but I'll share it again, is that Giants made the Super Bowl one year. And I still... My dad missed the Super Bowl to go observe the Lord's Supper. And as a kid, I was like, man, wow. Um, but I said, Dad, was it, was it always like that for you too? And, and pretty much he said yes. So I said, so what was it? Like, who taught you? Who discipled you? He goes, you know what? Nobody. I said, so what was it about the Lord's Supper? He says, you know what? He goes, and I started attending the breaking of bread, and different men were standing up. He goes, it's the first time I ever saw genuineness in people's worship. That's what he said. He said, he goes, this is where I want to be, he said. Because I can see the sincerity of men's hearts. It's funny that uh, told me a story about Herb McCauley, um, where early in my dad's saved life, I don't know if it was here or if Herb was visiting there, but they, they were at the breaking of bread together. And I guess my dad stood up and, and talked about how he didn't, because at that time the breaking of bread was in the morning at Groton Bible Chapel. Uh, and, uh, and I guess my dad had stood up and said, listen, I don't want to be here today, but God made me get my butt out of bed and get here this morning. And Herb said he had never heard anybody talk like that before at the Lord's Supper. And uh, I said, yes, yeah, so I'm glad that God's polished him up a little bit uh, over the years. But... Um, listen, there is a protocol here, right? Um, there can be no acceptable worship of God if any of these things are lacking here. In Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 3. It says this, it says, <clears throat> We are the circumcision, Philippians 3 verse 3, who worship God in the Spirit, voice, in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Listen, brothers and sisters, if any of these three are lacking, okay, there can be no acceptable worship of God. Okay? To glory in Christ Jesus, or here is uh, New King James says, rejoice in Christ Jesus, that is most essential. Okay? The highest form of worship is to speak to God about the excellency of His beloved Son. Okay? But number two, there could be no allowance of the flesh. We are to have no confidence in it, and it must be judged as something that is hateful to God. Now listen, so be careful here, is that I know there are men who, um, you might be sitting there and you know, no one has shared in like 15 minutes, and so you feel like, okay, I have to share. No, that's the flesh. Okay? That's the flesh. We've got to be careful that we don't share, right? And worship uh, in the flesh. But at the same time, I know that there are many men, too, that say, listen, I don't want to stand up because I'm not eloquent. I don't know the word. Right. I, uh, they have various reasons. And listen, it's important for us to know the word. Right. So that should be a challenge for you in itself to listen. Be familiar with the word. Know the word to an extent where you can stand up and be comfortable with hearing that. But at the same time, too, is that, listen, if you want to stand up and, and like I said, and you recognize, right, that the um, that the flesh is, is something that you know is hateful to God, and you and you, your desire is listen. I just want to thank God, right? I mean, you can't. That's acceptable to God. Right? Don't think that you need some kind of seminary degree to stand up. That you need to have read your Bible for twelve hours that week. Okay. If, if, if the Spirit of God has prompted you, he may, have, he may choose chose you 
He may have chose you to be the voice of the assembly to God and worship that day. He may have chosen you. It could be just a song. It could be just a thanksgiving of prayer. It could be just a word from the, from the Bible. Um, but then lastly here, of course, is that the Holy Spirit has to lead us. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the one who does that, right? And he leads us in the realm of God's wonderful uh, things where Christ is all in all. You have to have all three of those. Okay? We ha- the, the glory of Christ Jesus is essential. There can be absolutely no confidence in the flesh during that time. And then, of course, it is something that is a spirit-leading thing where the spirit has the freedom and the liberty to choose whom he wants. Right? Um, to, ex- um, to rejoice in the Lord Jesus. And listen, that's what I love about uh, the way we, rem- we remember the Lord. Again, listen, there is nothing in Scripture that says we have to do it this way. Okay? Uh, it, there's nothing that says that we have to do it weekly. But these are some of the reasons why we do it weekly and the reason why we do it the way we do it. Um, and so, listen, those Sunday mornings when the hymns are sung, the thanksgiving is uttered, and the words spoken, they all follow the same theme. You ever notice those mornings? Right? Those are precious times for me. Precious times of worship and fellowship. It shows me, wow, the Spirit is actually moving men in this meeting. Right? I don't know about you, but I've had several, several people who have visited our chapel over the years who attended the Lord's Supper. And when they got done, they said, wow, I've never been to a meeting like that. When do the men get together to prepare for that? I said, they don't get together. They're like, what do you mean? Right? It, the, whole, the whole thing was the same theme. I'm like, that's the Spirit of God. They're like, you're kidding me. Like, more than once, several times. It's just a, a tremendous special time. And to me, there is no meeting of Christians to equal it this side of heaven. There's no meeting, in my opinion. It is just a foretaste of the endless praise of heaven. Okay. So if you have any more questions about that, certainly feel free to talk to uh, Greg, Joe, or myself. Um, but uh, what we'll do is we're going to go to corporate prayer. And uh, what I'll do is I'll close our time in about 10, 15 minutes. And in doing so, I'll give thanks for the food, too, if that's okay with Kathy. Does that work? And then we can go down and eat. All right? But let's have a little time of prayer together here.